I don't want to talk about that. I'm more more issues to be talking about than that. The time was still still dark at the start, but it got brighter and brighter nearly every day. Well, I know for six months because this is our season. I think that's rubbish. Come up to the gutter to get where I am. I'm delighted to be here, but it's been earned. It's, that's a, for it's sure. a great honour. It's kind of surreal, really. The whole thing has okay, been. Yeah, you've won them all, and that's pretty mental. What people in social media have done is disgusting. This is Sportsbeat Extra. On today's show, I'm speaking with a genuine Irish legend in the champion show jumping sector. But first, it's all about the League of Ireland. I'm Sean Connolly, and as always, you are very welcome to Sportsbeat Extra. Sportsbeat with HollywoodBets.ie, bringing the sports stars to you. 18 plus, gamble responsibly. See gamblingcare.ie. I'm delighted to welcome a legend in the Irish sporting field. A freelance commentator for a multitude of games in the most respected outlets, as well as being an all-round nice guy. Mr. Oshin Langan, how are you? You've got so many facts wrong in that introduction, and I won't even start, but thank you very much, Sean. You're very kind. <laughs> All right, so we're going to indulge in the wonder that is our beautiful domestic game today. The SSE Electricity Premier Division served a fantastic spectacle last night. Shamrock Rovers beating Derry 1-0. Now, I know you were at Oriel Park, but did you get to catch the highlights of the game in Tala? I haven't caught them yet. I've literally seen the highlights of every other Premier Division game except for that one but I know enough about it to know that Shamrock Rovers did what Shamrock Rovers have done over the last couple of years won a tight game and find, found a way to win Danny Mandreu yet again coming up with the goods it's a big win for them because they were beaten by Derry away at the start of the season people were saying well do they need an out and out striker are Derry after catching up with them are they kind of hitting bumps do they have too many good players can you keep that amount of talent happy and find a way to win games and the answer to all of those questions is yes you can keep that amount of talent happy and you don't have to by the way it's not too bad to have a bit of grumpiness in the squad and guys you want to play because that creates a bit of competition yeah well I mean you've you pretty much hit the nail on the head the game itself was it's, it's a funny one because it was it was actually there for Derry to take Derry were extremely good for 70 minutes had multiple opportunities to put the game away didn't take it and it's like that old adage of a boxer being on the ropes I think you really need to be able to to put them away when you can. They didn't put Rovers away. And ultimately what you saw, I suppose, in the last 20, 25 minutes was the strength of Rovers' bench. And it really looked like a side that have had massive rotation over three games in a little over a week, whereas Derry almost looked like they had the same side playing the same three games over the course of a week. And it really told in the last 15, 20 minutes. The big thing for Derry is, is that they're missing Michael Duffy. And they have yeah. an awful lot of talent and they'll win an awful lot of games and they may well challenge Rovers till the end of the season. But Mikey Duffy, I saw him many, many times when he's playing for Dundalk and he just lists the intensity and the attack levels of any team that he's in. And even last week when Derry drew with Bohemians, I watched that game last Monday night and I just thought to myself, they desperately need Mikey Duffy for this type of game. And they the strange thing is, is, they didn't actually play that badly. They did create an awful lot of chances, but just Mikey Duffy can just unlock defences and he can do it against any defence. Like he did it for Dundalk in Europe against teams that were technically a lot better but he never looked out of place so I don't know how far away he is from a comeback but he would be a massive addition to Derry he broke his leg so it's a long way away but they're just really unlucky that they don't have him despite the fact that they have an awful lot of talent he's a guy that I I think would be missed by any team Oh yeah the experience in itself and what he's, he's encountered in his career but ultimately it's just it's, the, it's, it's, it's that old adage in top-tier football that strength and depth really plays dividends in the dying minutes of those games and in seasons. Rovers now opening up a four-point cushion, remaining unbeaten in what seems like an eternity. 
Uh, I did in saying, in saying that though I think I saw enough from Derry to hold hope of a challenge uh, to the Dublin powerhouse until the end of the season they were incredibly good they were very very well structured and I think they actually mm. surprised the home side a lot with how well structured and organised that they were now I suppose when you're moving to the first division I think the first division it's doing it's best to kind of emulate the English Premier Division Cork and Galway just absolutely running away with it but saying that a resurgent Waterford are refusing to be left out of the conversation aren't they? They are, and they've been absolutely immense in the last couple of weeks. Whatever they're doing, they need to keep doing it. Phoenix Patterson, nine goals. Britain, seven goals. Patterson, by the way, we had an argument on the LOI show last week as to whether or not he's the best player in the first division at the moment. There's an argument there to suggest that Aaron Bulger is up there with him. Britain can't be far off it with the amount of goals he's getting. But like, I think he's one of the best players in the League of Ireland at the moment, not just the first division. And he creates openings and he scores goals and he provides assists. And he's just one of the best players in the league at the moment. I'm surprised Waterford were able to hang on to him. I don't think they'll hang on to him for much longer because he's a player that will draw a lot of attention and has drawn a lot of attention and will go for a big fee. Britain is another strong player, like scoring again last night. and A good win against Cobra Ambrose again because I was at Oriel Park. I, I haven't seen that game, but I have seen Waterford in the flesh a couple of times this season and I've watched them on TV a couple of times this season so yeah I mean they're like there's so much experience in that squad and I, I look I don't know what went wrong for Ian Morris he's a good manager he's, he's shown that with Shelburne but they just looked a little lethargic at times and they looked like they lacked a bit of pace at the back and whatever way they were set up teams were able to get at that exactly yeah and the game last night was great because it, it really uh, look, I'll, I'll agree with you. I, I don't know what happened with uh, with Ian. I mean, Gary Hunt and Darren Breen come in take over on an interim basis. That's four wins on the bounce. Now, it's 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 hard to tell if that's that new manager bounce and the squad coming back from it or whether or not the side has actually rediscovered its early pre-season expectations. But ultimately, from that game at Cove last night, they went behind on two occasions. They fought back. They showed grit. They showed determination and kept pushing to the point that even when the game was 3-2 in their favour, hitting a goal in the 92nd minute as well through Stringer just to seal it off and win 4-2. Good signs, great for, for the county, great for the team to win four in the bounce after what has happened. And it also keeps it slightly interesting because obviously what's going on with Galway, I mean, they went. Yeah. it was always going to be a difficult night last night for, for Wexford, a side that had four points from the last 15 available, playing host to a Galway side that had won five in the bounce. Now, last night, Galway hit three goals in less than 30 minutes, effectively killing off the game. It finished 4-0, but it was always going to be a difficult night for Wexford, wasn't it? It was indeed, and Ian Ryan is a fantastic coach, but Wexford wouldn't be working with the resources that the likes of Galway are, the likes of Cork City are, the likes of, of, of Waterford. If Wexford can make the playoffs, that's a very good season. And then, look, if you get to the playoff, playoffs, who knows what can happen? I mean, did, did many people think UCD would get through the playoffs last season? No, they thought Galway would, but Bray knocked them out at the first stage. Um They've got some really decent talent in Wexford. And the thing is, they've produced some decent talent in a sense that Jack Moylan was there last year. Look what he's doing for Shelburne now. Um, there was another player whose name has just slipped my mind uh, playing for St. Patrick's Athletic this year. Again, had a very decent season with Wexford before. The trouble is, is when players play well for them, they either go back to their pairing clubs having spent time on loan or they're picked up by someone else. But look, I still think they could make the playoffs and there's still an awfully long way to go and that in itself would be a good season for Wexford but like regards making the the one and only automatic promotion spot that's probably out of their reach I don't think it's out of reach of Waterford by the way again there's a long way to go between themselves Galway, Cork City and Longford who no one seems to be talking about we could get we could get a really 
really congested charge for that top spot. And of course, Galway play Cork City not next weekend. I think it's the weekend after next. So those two could end up taking points off each other, and Waterford could get in there. You know, all they have to do is keep winning games. Sounds easy when I say it. I suppose from a spectator, from an end point of view, it just makes it fantastically interesting. I want to talk to you about the natural progression of the Irish game, in your opinion, because I know for as long as we can remember, talented Irish individuals leaving the pinnacle of the Irish game to head to League One, for example, in the English League. Now, for years, we've seen plenty of talented players make the move to further their career. Would you think we're now in a position with the very top of our own domestic game, let's say with Rovers, that it's, it's, it's almost better for the development of the players than it is in those lower divisions? There's a couple of things happening. Brexit means that not the young players aren't going to go en masse anymore and they can't go en masse. That means they have to stay here and they have to get developed here. That's very good for our league. It's very good for our clubs. Um, I, I don't know enough about the underage structures to say if the whole um, League of Ireland underage system is the best way to go. But what I can tell you is that there is evidence there to suggest that something is going right somewhere because we're producing an awful lot of good young players. And the great thing now, Sean, is they don't have to go to England. Like, there was a time where if any English club came in for a player in any League of Ireland club, chances are the player would jump at it or the League of Ireland club would say, oh yeah, go, you know, we'll, we'll take whatever small few quid we'll get for you. That's not the case anymore. Like, sometimes it's it's better for a player to stay here, get game time, play at adult level, play uh, good football. And in, in many cases, a lot of the clubs are playing good football. And look at even the case of managers. Again, there was a t- time where if someone like Lincoln came in for someone like Stephen Bradley, regardless of which club it was, they'd jump at it. Stephen Brady didn't have to take that job in Lincoln because it wasn't necessarily a huge jump, whereas before it would have been a huge jump. Like back in the time when Stephen Kenny would have gone to Dunfermline or Roddy would have went to Carlisle or Pat Stanley would have went to Hibbs, the gap was bigger than if any English club or Scottish club in any of the league, um, any of the football leagues came in. It was just a, a jump. It was a, a jump in standard. It's not the case anymore. You look at what Stephen Bradley can do with Shamrock Rovers. Like he can do an awful lot more with Shamrock Rovers than he can with Lincoln. He could get Shamrock Rovers the Champions League group stages. I genuinely believe that. It's a bit of a stretch. You probably need a bit of luck. But at the very least, he could get them to the Conference League or Europa League group stages. He can build them up as a club. Like, we don't know. As I said to him last week, I had a chat with Stephen Bradley, and I quoted Mean Girls. Probably not often he's quoted Mean Girls in interviews. I said, the, the limit does not exist. So we don't know exactly how far you can go with the club. He sees a potential of what he can do with Shamrock Rovers and what Shamrock Rovers can do in the League of Ireland. And that potential is there for an awful lot of other clubs as well. Rovers are probably a little bit ahead of the rest, but the other can catch up. Uh, and, and I include Waterford with that, by the way, and Westford as well. But like the facilities in many venues had to improve greatly, not so much the RC. It's actually a good place to go and watch a, a game of football. Terry Carrick Park is actually quite nice as well. Uh, but the clubs are showing a bit of cop on, and they never really did that before on that. Some did, but a lot of them didn't. And you look at the history of most clubs in the League of Ireland, at some point or another, they've got themselves into financial trouble the first thing we need to do to develop the league is to stop that happening. It certainly reads that way because, I mean, obviously what's going on with Dublin City Council is saying the planned 6,000-seater stadium with the ancillary community facilities remains their preferred option. I mean, it reads very well. It does read very well. And hopefully these clubs can build from there. And what they now get is, is, is that a club is not just a first eleven. It is not just the team you put out on the pitch. A club is so much more than that. And in order to have a good first eleven, you have to have so many other things right, all your structures right. I think finally they get that. Cautiously optimistic. That's the probably the finest way of describing it. I suppose lastly, yeah. um, Oshin, what have you got yourself coming up? Anything interesting coming up yourself at the moment? 
Well, we've got the League of Ireland show, which is live and for free on LOI TV every Monday night. All you have to do is, is register and you can watch that. That's, we're actually coming live from Oriel Park on uh, Monday night, which will be interesting. We'll have highlights of all the games, including the Waterford against the uh, Ramblers match. Uh, Brian Gartland and Chris Shields will be among our special guests. Um, and I'm just looking forward to getting to a lot of League of Ireland games. And, of course, I'm you know um, still very much on the GA circuit and looking forward to getting to Walsh Park tomorrow for... Uh, Cork against Waterford the Munster Championship and hopefully Waterford can seal the deal and, 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 and get into the knockout stage and again speaking of cautious optimism I, I think as a county we don't do favourites the favourites tag doesn't sit comfortably with me but you know what when I look at that squad and I look at what Liam Cattle has done they're kind, there's, there's, there's kind of like a new breed and it was the same very maybe under under, under Derek as well they're, they had a confidence in themselves not an arrogance but a confidence that it comes from the work that they've done and the uh, the game plan and everything that they've worked on so I'm I'm hopeful uh, tomorrow heading to Walsh Park again optimism quietly optimistic um, exactly uh, O'Sheen fabulous talking to you thanks for taking your time out of your day and the very best to you thanks Sean Sports Beat with HollywoodBets.ie the home of Hollywood Bets Super 7 the ultimate tipping challenge 18 plus gamble responsibly see gamblingcare.ie I'm joined by show jumping royalty a Wexford native who, despite being based in Germany, is proudly waving the Irish flag across the globe. A winner across Pony, Junior and Senior levels, including the title of the youngest ever winner of a Grand Prix on the Global Champions Tour. Mr Bertram Allen, you're very welcome to the show. How are you today? Very well, thanks for having me. I know, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to have you here. So, as a man who was born into a strong equestrian family, how influential was your father on your early development? Yeah, very much so. Um from a, from an early age, we were encouraged a lot by mom and dad, and um, spent a lot of time on the road doing ponies, going around to all the gymkhanas and different shows all around Ireland when we were young with the with the whole family, and it was a, a great time. I can imagine it was. And shortly after you began competing, you obviously then got training with Mag and Con Power, joining up then later with Billy Toomey. What were the two key factors that you gained from your time with Billy? Yeah, well, Billy was great. Um, he 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 kind of overlapped with with Con and Mag, who who we'd done all the pony pony stuff with, and then um, learned a lot off him. And even till today, um, he's always somebody I can call for advice, and we, we get on very well. And um, it's nice to have somebody to to bounce things off, and uh, yeah, to have have somebody know so knowledgeable just on the other end of the phone. Always very, very handy to have that little uh, little tool in the box there whenever you need it. Okay. So 2010 was a huge year in your life and your career. Gold medal with the ponies at the European Championships, followed shortly by a move to Germany. At the age of 15, tell me what was going through your head at that time. Yeah, well, the ponies had gone very well and I'd just finished doing uh, the junior search. So we said we'd go to Germany for a while and... Um, and see how that went and start off the horses over here. The plan was just to go for one year um, or even less than that. And, um, yeah, we ended up, we're, we're still here. But, um, no, that's really where it all got going and it all got a bit more serious then. Yeah, yeah. And fast forward three years at 18, you achieved the remarkable feat of a win on the first leg of the World Championship, finishing seventh individually. Followed that with a third place finish in the World Cup final and a world ranking of fifth at the age of 20. 
I suppose the main thing I'd ask is, were you surprised by the rate of progression and success that you were having, or was it an expectation at that stage of your career? Um, no, it, 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 I suppose it wasn't an expectation, but I, I was lucky to have a great team of horses just all at that time. And I suppose from doing so much of the ponies in Ireland and, and doing the Europeans with the ponies and doing going to England and things like that, I had quite a bit of... Um, experience maybe more so than some of the other younger riders would have just from doing all that because Ireland is very very strong with the ponies and uh, things like that Um so yeah it all went very fast um, and like I said I was just lucky to have the the correct bunch of horses at the right time too because that's that's a massive part of it. It's a massive part of it but you're also very humble and I can hear that as as a veteran of the Global Champions Tour now, I mean, there's a monumental amount of travelling. Can you describe the requirements with regards to maintaining a happy, healthy horse? Yeah, it's it's, it's a big part of it is, you know, not to do too much and uh, not to take too much out of them when you are going. And also a massive, massive part of that, obviously, is it's, it's a lot of travelling and a lot of going, but, that, you know, to have a good groom and, and to have a good team at home because... When you're on the road so much and um, the, the girls are on the road so much with the horses, you know, they, they play a massive role in keeping the horses happy and knowing exactly what they're feeling every day. And, um, you know, that 1% is, can make the difference sometimes. And the girls are so good that they, they can pick up on those little tiny things before they're even a thing. So that's very important to have a really strong team around you. Yeah, and uh, the horses themselves, I believe, have tremendous personalities. Am I correct in saying that every horse is different every single day? Yeah, exactly. They're 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 real characters. The different horses, and especially especially the 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 Grand Prix horses and things like that that are on that you spend so much time with, and they're on the road. They they start to enjoy it. You know, they they you see one if if you've left them at home for two or three weeks, they nearly get bored at home. You know, a lot of the Good horses, they 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 nearly enjoy to be at a show and are, are more relaxed and entertained at a show. Some of them, it's it's funny to see the the different types of horses. Isn't that brilliant though? The the different personalities it uh, allows you to develop and cultivate such a strong bond with different horses. Uh, I suppose exactly. with that, then how how important is it for the rider to be a hundred percent positive? We'll say keyed in and positive on top of the horse. Yeah, well, I I think it's a massive part of it from our point of view to be positive and also from their point of, point of view to be positive because we're in places that normally horses shouldn't be, you know, and in, in the middle of cities and jumping on the beach in Miami and places like this. So they need to have a lot, a lot of trust in us and um, and we need to be relaxed and confident and that passes on through to them so that they can feel all that and when they feel that then we can nearly bring them anywhere and it doesn't phase them at all. Absolutely. I'd imagine the team around you must share the exact same sentiment and being able to move around and make sure that there's as much comfort there with the amount of diversity that's actually on the tour with all of the travelling. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, we we don't... I don't travel with the horses normally because I'm other things going on or I follow them or whatever, but that's also, you know, a big part of of it that the team when they're traveling with the horses that they keep such a good eye on them because we're in Madrid now and um, 
you know, also even to get down here, it's a long, it's a long drive, and when they arrive, they need to be ready to go and um, you know make sure they're totally at their best. I suppose a horse is adjustable to to every course. Is it is it completely meticulous and based on every different course with the amount of work that has to be put in prior to actual competitions? I'd say the the course or where you are is maybe less of a thing. It's more kind of what you feel every day. You know, some some of them arrive and they feel a bit fresh or didn't take as much out of them and then the next horse might be a little bit more tired or he made more of an effort yesterday and you have to feel okay today I'm going to back off him a little bit or this guy's a bit too fresh he needs an extra 10 minutes work today so it's just you need to have your plan know what you're doing but also to go off what you're feeling too well as it beds back into what we were saying about the personality of the horse then really doesn't it yeah exactly on the horse when you approach a fence how much of the jump is you and how much of it is the horse a lot of it obviously is the horse all we can do is is get them there in the best place we can have them have them balanced and, 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 and do everything we can but yeah the impulsion and everything they have to do that from themselves you're essentially getting them into the position to be able to apply their trade successfully. Exactly. Uh, I suppose with that, having achieved so much in your career, Bertram, what drives you forward and keeps you motivated at this stage of your career? Um, yeah, well, you know, horses are a great leveler, so you're always trying to improve them. And then, you know, I have a few horses to jump now for the next two or three weeks at a few bigger shows, but also, like, that's just three or four of the horses. Between me and my brother Harry here, we have... 25 horses or even more at the moment in the stable and you're always uh, trying to train those ones to to get to the level to be here at these shows and um, also the way it's gone the last few years the the trading and things like that has has um, crept into it so there's there's a lot of different elements of it but you know at the end of it all is why we're doing it is for the sport and um, yeah every time you're at a show these big shows, it, it really motivates you and you really want to try and do your best. I can imagine so. And congratulations on retaining your Florida title. An absolutely tremendous achievement. Yeah, that was great. We've we've gone out to Florida now the last two or three years for for kind of two months in the winter and it's um, it, it works out nicely. It's a, a great trip to do. I've got to ask you, what is the standout victory or the highlight in your phenomenal career? I'd wager money on the answer but I need to ask the question. <laughs> I think the, the highlight for, for any Irish rider is winning the Grand Prix in Dublin or winning the Aga Khan in Dublin. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's what, what we all grow up wanting to do and to have, have achieved that is uh, yeah, one of my prouder, proudest um, successes. A wonderful achievement. What is the key piece of advice that you would offer to any budding enthusiast who's considering the possibility of joining your career field? Yeah, I think the main thing is just to, to follow what the good people are doing, surround yourself with good people, get into good stables. You know, if you can, if you can spend time around good people and see what they're doing and how they do it, no matter what level you get in on. Um, and then, yeah apply that then and work hard and um yeah and enjoy it too you know and i see some people when they go to the shows it's just a big stress and they forget to enjoy it if you if you're not enjoying it and and the horses are not enjoying it it's not going to work out brilliant advice 
I can appreciate just how busy you are. So thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's been an honor, I suppose, getting an insight into the daily runnings of a national treasure. We'll touch base again soon, see how everything is going, and I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Sports Beat with HollywoodBets.ie, bringing all the blockbuster action to the palm of your hand. 18 plus. Gamble responsibly. See gamblingcare.ie. That's it for today. If you'd like the opportunity to get your club on the show, feel free to contact me on sport at beat102103.com and I will happily get back to you. Dean's up next with Beat Anthems.